Hello and welcome to the 13th episode of Outside the Screen, a podcast all about screens in the lives of children and families. I'm law professor and child rights advocate Liz Hansley. And I'm child psychiatrist and stand-up comedian Dr Kim Lee. And we're bringing you the podcast because Liz and I want to make research relatable. We want to go on a deep dive and actually take the time to read these papers so that you can understand how to better manage screen time for your kids. That's the hope. So what have we got lined up for this episode, Liz? Today on the show, you're going to hear a review of the recent remake of Lassie Come Home and an interview with the wonderful Jen Hoey from Not My Kid. But first up, we've got... Paper Round, a regular segment where we look at the research that's coming out and demystify it so that we can better inform your family's decisions about how you engage with screens. Today, we are discussing a paper out of the University College London about violent video games. Everyone wants to know about violent video games, right? It's a very, very very common question. Mm. We want to know about how it affects aggressive behavior, narcissism, self-esteem, and the ratings of these games. So a bit for everyone. Yeah. Stay tuned. As Kim said, today in Paper Round, we're looking at some research out of the UK about video games, aggression, narcissism, and self-esteem. Kim, why'd they do this research? Well, every single time I give a talk, schools, parents, teachers, they all want to know what are the effects of violent video games Mm. on our children's brains. Mm -hmm. And so this one's interesting because it also looks at different aspects of your personality, narcissism, Mm. you know, being self-absorbed, your self-esteem and uh, how it can uh, affect predictors of different aspects of aggression. So I really love the sound of this research because it looks at particular personality traits. And so if you're working with or living with a young person or trying to bring a young person up, you're able to look at that person as an individual and say, okay, what's this person's personality? How can I go from there in figuring out how to help manage the the growth through the game use or whatever's going on? I, yeah. I really like the way that individualizes it because it's going to make it so much more practical and helpful for people in individual families with individual kids. Yeah. And so they use a very commonly used questionnaire on aggression. A, mm-hmm. It's called the BPAQ. And it looks at things like physical aggression, verbal aggression, anger, and hostility. Mm-hmm. They surveyed an international population of 166 video game players, Mm -hmm. sent them personality surveys, and then looked at what kind of games they chose to play. Mm -hmm. So the key word here is choice. Yep. So when your child chooses to play, for example, a very typical violent game, you then have to look at, okay, what is it about this child? Is it the game itself? Mm -hmm. Or are there aspects of the child that the child is trying to look at within Mm -hmm. the game? Yep. And I think a good way to think about it is these games are actually simulators and whatever your heart desires or what fantasies that you want, whether you want to become a, a bank robber or a thief or a killer. Or an architect or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. a builder, yeah, yeah, Bob the Builder. Uh, these games offer that for you. Okay. And what they find? Their results, they found that the video game choice itself was a predictor of verbal aggression alongside narcissistic personality traits, Mm -hmm. hostility, and self-esteem. So what that's basically saying is if you have certain personality traits, you're more likely to choose a certain kind of game 
So looking at the game someone chooses can help you understand their personality better. Bingo. Yeah? Oh, good. Yeah. I wasn't sure I understood that paper. It sounds like I do. Yay. But can we just talk about mediation? Like when they talk about that, what does that actually mean? Can you explain it? Uh, Let's say, for example, I buy a whole bunch of pizzas for Radio Adelaide. Mm -hmm. The mediator in this situation for higher work productivities is positive morale. So there's, there's a little, I guess, relationship. So it's the positive morale between eating a yummy pizza and then the actual variable. So there's an independent variable and a dependent variable. Mm. So the connection is between playing a violent video game and aggression. Yeah. So the longer you play the violent video game, the more likely you are to score higher on an aggression scale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whether it predicts you going out and being aggressive to someone verbally or physically, obviously we can't tell that, but Playing violent video games predicted verbal aggression alongside narcissism and hostility alongside self-esteem. And so narcissism, being self-absorbed, is a predictor of verbal aggression, physical aggression and anger, while self-esteem was a predictor of hostility. That's being low self-esteem is a predictor of... Being more hostile. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So these findings that were in the paper... Did any of them surprise you or, you know, does it fit with what you already knew? I just found the personality aspects uh, very interesting. You know, everyone loves the old personality quiz and it's really interesting to see how narcissism and self-esteem play out in people's choices. So, for example, if your child chooses a violent video game, you have to also understand, okay, what scenario are they trying to simulate? What scenario are they trying to play out? Hmm. Is it a desire to become a thief? Is it a desire to become a killer? Those types of motivating factors are really important in this study. Mm. So would you suggest that parents have that conversation with a child? Say, you know, I see you playing this game. What is it that you like about it? Are you actually a narcissist? Do you have low self-esteem? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know whether I would uh, necessarily recommend parents to, you know, Google, uh, you know, the different narcissistic personality types and apply that to their own child. I had literally this conversation with a parent yesterday. Oh, yeah. The the parent was just adamant that their child was suffering from an underlying conduct disorder, you know, mm. you know, misbehaving, you know, sort of so, so to speak. But I was really trying to say to them, look, your child is being very impulsive. You know, multiple screens opened up in class at school, not because of necessarily trying to rebel against the authority, the the teachers, the principal of the school. It's actually that they might have an inattention problem, mm-hmm. ADHD. Yeah. And I'm trying to work with the mother and saying, look, are you okay with me assessing your child with ADHD today? Mm-hmm. And they were very, very reluctant hmm. to, but I had to explain to them, look, it's not just because your child is lazy. It's not just because they are capable but have chosen this path. It's actually they are struggling with boredom in class. Hmm. They want to procrastinate because what they're looking at on their screen searching up their interests is much more interesting than algebra. Hmm. And is that kind of the opposite to the usual dynamic that you get? I would have thought it was more common for parents to come in saying... (laughs) It is, yeah, yeah. which was really surprising. And I think it really comes down to some of the other psychologists who have worked with them to Hmm. say that there is this relationship breakdown of communication and connection 
and that they need to work on that. And, and I said to them in the session, I said, look, sometimes do you notice that your mum is feeling upset or your dad's feeling upset? And the child says, yes. And I said, well, that means that it's a protective mechanism against essentially what we call conduct disorder, mm. that they're able to empathise with another person and also offer them comfort. Mm. Well, you've always got some interesting stories to tell, I've got to say. So... Do you see any danger of a finding like this being oversimplified or distorted? And we know that when it comes to violent video games, there's always debate going on in the media that there are some people who are adamant there's no no effect and some people who believe otherwise and um, it, it seems like that's constantly going around in a circle. What's your take on that and, and what what might one say about this particular paper in relation to that? Yeah, I think you can... Take it very black and white. Violent video games are bad. You can also say that there are a lot of factors involved in aggression. What is aggression? There's different types of aggression and the connection between the violent video games and ultimately aggressive behaviour, there are a lot of different factors. Mm. And we're trying to apply surveys and scales and ratings, quizzes essentially, into real life and we, we have to, in the end, be informed of that and mm -hmm. then actually make a choice. So we might, for example, desire to live out a fantasy in a simulation in a video game, mm -hmm. but then actually go, hmm, I might stop there and rather than play out that fantasy, go and do something what we call more pro-social. I mm -hmm. want to go play basketball with my friends in a team, do something more pro-social. Mm -hmm. So it's really that step and saying, hmm, these games are very exciting. They are very enjoyable, but perhaps I need to balance it out with some more pro-social mm. things. Yeah, and I think the important word that you just used then was factor. I've never come across any research that goes any further than saying playing violent games is a factor in aggression, that you know, nobody says it's a one-for-one a -one relationship, that it's just one factor of many and there will be plenty of people who can play violent video games all day long and not be the tiniest bit aggressive. And there are people who can be aggressive without playing violent video games. But if there is that connection, then, you know, surely we need to know about it and think about it. Okay, well, I think we've talked about how it could inform parenting or caring for children. That is to have an eye to the kind of personality that your child has and try to understand your child's personality and, and then, you know, why he or she is making particular choices and keep the conversation going as we keep uh, saying like a broken record. <laughs> Any final thoughts on this paper? You have to be the enforcer of these restrictions and guidelines. Mm -hmm. They can have all the classifications as much as you want, but if there's no one actually stepping in and, and having this conversation with your child, then there's no point in really having them. Yeah, yeah that's right. So let's make sure that we have a classification system that, that makes sense to people and that they are willing to enforce. That would be a, a really nice start. And I think the current classification system we have in Australia and probably other systems in other parts of the world don't necessarily inspire that kind of confidence from parents. So um, that's one of the challenges, I think. All right, good. Well, I think that's been a really nice chat. So thank you. And now we'll move on to the next segment. Well, there were a few very interesting tips from Kim about how to manage children's gameplay and, and particularly with a view to their personality type. I'm sure we'll be having more conversations about that kind of thing in coming episodes. Kim also mentioned the idea of pro-social 
activities and we are going to be looking at a paper soon about pro-social games. So listen out for that one in a forthcoming episode. Coming back to this paper, it was by Simon Olyanik and Daniela Romano. And the title is, Is Playing Violent Video Games a Risk Factor for Aggressive Behaviour? Adding Narcissism, Self-Esteem and Peggy Ratings to the Debate. It was published in the journal Frontiers in Psychology. Full details in the show notes. Now it's time for our movie review. And Kate is going to tell us why the 2020 German remake of Lassie Come Home is recommended for ages 7 and up. Hi, I'm Kate Martin, and I'm here with some information from the Children and Media Australia's review of the 2020 movie Lassie Come Home. I'll tell you what the movie is about and what elements led the reviewers to recommend the film for children seven and up. I'll also suggest things in the movie that you might want to discuss with your kids. The movie is set in Bavaria, South Germany. When 12-year-old Joe and his parents can't afford to live in their house anymore, they must move into a rental apartment. Unfortunately, the landlady does not like dogs, so they temporarily place their collie, Lassie, with family friends, Mr Springer and his granddaughter, Priscilla. Mr Springer and Priscilla take Lassie along on a trip to the north of the country. Missing her family and unaware that she is hundreds of kilometres away from home, Lassie escapes and starts making her way through the German countryside. Subsequently, a frantic search for her ensues. There are some scenes in this movie that could scare or disturb younger children, especially where Joe and Priscilla are struggling in a river. Lassie jumps in to help them, but is swept over a waterfall and is feared dead. Also, Joe is seen distressed, crying and worrying about Lassie on several occasions. Lassie Come Home is the latest adaptation of the adventures of the beloved collie Lassie, who first became famous and popular in the 1943 classic with the same title, starring a young Elizabeth Taylor. Generations of children have since followed Lassie's adventures in numerous movies and a successful TV series. This time, the story is set in modern-day Germany, but sticks with the main ingredients, a deep friendship between a child and a loyal dog, a painful separation, and desperate efforts from all parties to have Lassie come home. There is only mild-level peril, scary or violent material, and instead some more interpersonal drama for the human protagonists. Children will enjoy the humour and animal scenes and probably won't be too bothered by some, in fact many, quite unrealistic chance events. Australian children might also enjoy getting an impression of the beautiful German scenery. And although the film was originally in the German language, you can avoid potential complications from subtitles when you watch it on streaming by putting the English track on. The main messages from this movie are that people and animals can achieve extraordinary things if they set their mind to it and that family and friendship are the most important things in life. Values in this movie that parents may wish to reinforce with their children include friendship, facing difficulties and challenges and courage. The movie could also give parents the opportunity to discuss with their children attitudes and behaviours and their real-life consequences, such as avoidance and running away. Priscilla's father, and also grandfather, did not face their tragic loss of a loved one in a very constructive way. 
They both tried to avoid the pain, inadvertently creating more hardship for themselves and others. Happily, they learn their lesson by the end of the movie and start making better choices. Thus It Come Home is available on a number of different streaming platforms and the CMA reviewers recommend it for children 7 and up with parental guidance for 5 to 6 year olds. For children under 5, best to find another movie. There is a more detailed review of this and hundreds of other movies on the CMA website. And when Kate talks about the CMA website, that's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You can find the reviews by clicking on the Movie Reviews tab, then you can sort the list or search by title, alphabetically, by age suitability, by classification or by date added. All of the reviews are prepared by people with training in child development and they cover every G and PG title released in Australian cinemas since 2002, as well as selected M-rated movies and some pre-2002 ones that are available on streaming services. The website also has reviews of game-style apps and apps that might appeal to young children. Again, it's www.childrenandmedia.org.au. You might also like to join the CMA Facebook community, facebook.com forward slash Australian Council on Children and the Media, all one word. More details later on how to keep in touch and give feedback. Now we're going to hear an interview with Liz and Jen Howey, cyber safety consultant and founder of Not My Kid an organisation that advocates for children's online safety. Welcome to the podcast, Jen. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you here. Now, you're the founder of an organisation called Not My Kid. Why did you choose that name? Uh, Well, to be honest, because that is the one uh, statement that I hear from parents frequently, that something negative will never happen to their child online. Mm-hmm. i.e. not my kid. So I thought it was an appropriate name considering the number of parents that don't want to face the risks. Mm. And what are those risks that you're worried about? Well, at the moment, we're primarily worried about online predators. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there is cyberbullying, which we've heard a lot about in the news. But as well as that, we've seen an increase in sextortion. In fact, the eSafety Commissioner this year reported a triple increase compared to last year. Um, And that's primarily targeting boys through financial sextortion. Uh, Girls are also victims, but um, we are seeing an escalation in the number of boys who are being contacted. Often they think it's just uh, another friend, another child of their own age. But in fact, once they've sent an image, the chat starts to get very nasty. Mm. So any game or social media platform that has a chat is a risk to our children. Well, that's a a big job for an organisation covering all those very, very important and knotty issues. Must have been quite an effort getting the organisation going. What did that entail? Well, I started small. I started just by creating a a parent group on Facebook. Uh, I allowed parents to post anonymously on that group uh, just because many of us don't always feel like airing all of our grievances and our, I guess, dirty laundry in public with our name. And then it's it gradually grew. I created a website. Um, I designed an online course for parents, which is very short, 30 minutes long. And I created a Facebook page. And it's the audience has grown. Um, mm-hmm. I now get about 6,000 in the group and as well as on the page. So it's been encouraging. Yeah. 
The comment that you made before about parents not wanting to air their dirty laundry, I suppose that's especially sensitive when it comes to these issues, because if you tell your story, you're telling your child's story as well. And you have to really think about that, don't you? Absolutely, which is why I included that uh, possibility to post anonymously. Um, mm. I've been through an experience with my own daughter, and I know that for many years I was very ashamed to come forward and share her story, and I only did so after she gave me her permission. Um, so I very much empathise with parents who are going through any type of difficulty when it comes to online use. Yeah, it's really tricky. So coming back to Not My Kid, your organisation, what have been some of your successes so far? Well, for every parent that signs up to a parent consultation, for every parent that reaches out to me via messenger, wanting to understand more, I take that as a success. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm reaching parents slowly but surely. Yep. And that's where it has to live, isn't it? Because parents are all out there in their own homes with their own kids just trying to do the best they can. And so that individual contact is going to be really, really important. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And what about the other side of things, the challenges you're facing now or more generally? The challenges really is how to reach enough parents. Mm -hmm. um, I have a son who's nine and in year four, and I'd say that he's probably one of the only children in his class who is closely supervised if he's allowed online at all. Mm -hmm. And I find that that's my biggest challenge, uh, reaching enough parents. Yeah, and it gets so tricky when you've got a child in school and you want to set a certain bar and nobody else wants to set that bar or you know, not everybody wants to set that bar. And so you know, things tend to sort of sink to the lowest uh, common denominator, don't they? And it's a, it's a real challenge for the parent who really wants to set the higher bar, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And, you know, he's come home having seen horror at school on, mm. on iPads which has left him with sleepless nights. Um, and it's very difficult because, you know, you send your child to school hoping that they're protected and then when they're exposed, um, it's very confronting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you just feel so powerless because you can't stop your child going to school. <laughs> so many exactly. other things you can protect your child from, but you can't protect them from what they see in the playground and, you know, unless you want to homeschool and that's just a huge decision on many levels and, and you don't want to have that forced on you, do you? Absolutely not. I had a mum reach out whose child was five and um, has been exposed to children who are playing uh, horror games in the playground and he's mm. having nightmares. So, you know, I, I think that as parents, we do have to take some responsibility for not only our own children, but the children of others too. Yeah. And that's a very, very hard thing to do, isn't it? It's very hard to tell the story where we are all affected by each other's parenting That's because right. parenting is constructed as such a private thing. And yet I think for a lot of people, it's the most publicly significant thing they'll ever do. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, hoping that things can um, keep on moving onwards and upwards for Not My Kid, how can our listeners support you in your organisation? Well, they're welcome to follow my Facebook page or yeah. even join the group um, for mm -hmm. parents. Um, it's a wonderful way of being able to ask questions and as I said, anonymously, if need be, mm -hmm. um, and get some support, uh, as well as that I have designed a short online course, which is available via my website. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a really short and sweet. It gives you an outline of the risks, but it also provides you with tools and strategies that you can put in place in your own home. Yeah, great. Well, we'll put uh, links to all of that in the show notes that our listeners can follow. And hopefully we'll keep on talking about these things and keep on finding solutions for people. 
That would be wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's about all we have time for today. Yes, that's a wrap for episode 13. We'd really love to have your feedback, so please get in touch either through Facebook or Instagram. Just search for Outside the Screen Pod, all one word, or you can email us at Outside the Screen Pod at gmail.com. You can also catch up on all things gaming addiction on my website, cgiclinic.com, or even book an appointment for me to assess your child. Or if you really like us, you can help by becoming a subscriber on Substack. Details are in the show notes along with a range of further info about the things we've been discussing. We'd also love it if you could spread the word about the podcast among your friends and colleagues. Finally, you can rate and review us on your listening platform to make it easier for others to find us. And And this this has been been the team from Outside the Screen. See you next week.